always remember that you are a great God who is sovereign over all. For you spoke everything into existence and by your power, you hold all things together. And let us always remember that every good gift and perfect gift that we receive, God, is from you. And so the very life that we have, the breath that we breathe, they are a gift from you. And so let us use it just to simply pour out our praise for you, for you and you alone are worthy of our praise, Lord. So God, we ask that you just move in our hearts as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you take a minute and greet one another? And then if you, all children going to children's church may exit to my right. This morning, I want to encourage you now, grab your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 24. This morning in the last message of 2018, and the last message in this specific series of Roadblocks to Spiritual Growth, uh, if you have missed any of the previous ones, you can find them all uh, there on iTunes uh, or on SoundCloud if you are an Android user. Um, there, and so there's a way that we can help you uh, in in your spiritual growth. I hope, again, that you will let us know. Um, But, you know, many years ago, and as several people like to remind me, many, many years ago now, uh, I I was a pretty good athlete. 
was in good shape, took care of myself. I watched everything that I put into my body. Um, but like most of us, over the years, once uh, the athletics stopped, uh, we still watched what we put in our body, but we just didn't care as much what it was. Um, you know, but the, I mean, the thing is, I thought I had plenty of time. After all, I was, I was a young guy. I was in my 20s. I was full of energy, enthusiasm, and excitement. I had just married to the love of my life. I had just graduated from Bible college. Literally, I thought I had the world in front of me. Until one day, I thought my life was behind me. Laying there, all sorts of things hooked up to me. All sorts of thoughts racing through my mind. And I'm looking in the face of the most beautiful woman in all the world. And I can see the greatest concern in her eyes. And so thoughts are running through my mind. Am I going to make it? Am I going to get out of here? You know, is my wife going to be okay? What about the family we had talked about? You know, having all, all these thoughts going through my mind in that moment. Of course, obviously, I was okay. I walked out of there. And like most of us, when we have a scare of some sort, um, it affects us for a little bit. But then what happens is we start forgetting those lessons. And we fall back right into the same bad habits and choices that we were making before. And we kind of wonder, well, what if it ever happens again? You know, will it be worse this time? Or, you know, what, what could possibly happen? I mean, the, the reality is we all know that there are decisions in our life that we need to make. There are things that we know we are supposed to take care of, whether it be as a husband or as a wife, as parents. And we, we often give lip service to, yeah, you know what, I need to make some changes in my life. But at the end of the day, most of the time, it's nothing more than lip service. It's not that we don't know what we should do. It's we just don't care enough to do something about it. And so we can talk about it all we want, but really the question becomes, are we going to do what we know we're supposed to do? And I'm just going to ask this question. How many of you have ever said the phrase, there is more to do today than I can possibly get done? We've all said that, right? All right, well, you're going to love me right off the bat. The one big thing this morning is this, that God has allotted us sufficient time to make the necessary decisions, but we cannot waste the time we are given. Let's look at it together. Acts chapter 24. I'm going to begin in the 24th verse. And I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand with me as we honor God's word? Acts chapter 24, beginning in the 24th verse, it says this. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And answered, go thy way for this time, when, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. He hoped also that money should be, uh, have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time of worship. Uh, through music, and now, God, as we look into your word, we just ask, uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive 
the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is that God has allotted us sufficient time to make the necessary decisions, but we cannot waste that time. We can't waste the time that we are given. The, the funny thing about this message is I have put this message off until this point. And it's entertaining because the last roadblock to spiritual growth is procrastination. The art form of putting things off that we ought to do. And so let's look at what is procrastination from this text. And then we're going to look at one other uh, together, But the first thing out of this text I want you to see is that procrastination is putting important decisions off. Now, the text that we're studying here is the second time that Felix is going to hear Paul in an argument. Paul has been a prisoner uh, there in for, for a while. He has been lied about to become a prisoner. But he is a prisoner nonetheless. And the first time that Paul gets to talk to Felix, he kind of gives a justification for himself. He, he says, listen, king, these guys are lying about me. Everything they're saying, they're making it up. It's not true. But this in our text is now the second time that Paul stands before Felix. And Paul's not going to give a justification for himself. See, there's two differences between the first time that Paul stood before Felix in this time. This time, Felix has his wife, Drusilla. You see it in the text. She's a Jewish, she's a Jewish woman. So this was a woman who would have been familiar with Jewish teachings. And so she most likely has been brought in by Felix, although it would have been odd to have his wife there. He brings her in so that she can help him understand what is it that Paul is talking about. Because she would have had an idea of Jewish teaching. But there's something else about her. See, Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. Now, you may not know who Herod Agrippa is. Well, let me go ahead and tell you. Uh, Herod Agrippa was the one, the king at the time, who had John the Baptist beheaded in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So, Drusilla would have known the basic Jewish teachings as well as she would have been familiar with the teachings of Jesus. So, Felix is kind of looking at his wife and going, all right, I need you to help me make some sense of what's being said here. But Paul doesn't try to defend himself. Rather, Paul presents the gospel in three different aspects to him. Look there at your text at verse 25. He says, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, that self-control, and the judgment to come. And so Paul is going, King, you need the righteousness of God, not your own. And King, I know you don't have God's righteousness because you don't have any self-control. How do we know he doesn't have self-control? Well, there in verse 26, it says he hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul. So Felix wanted to be bribed. He wasn't interested in justice. He was interested in what would make his life a little bit better and would line his pockets a little bit more. And Paul says, King, I know you don't have God's righteousness because you lack self-control. And because of you not having God's righteousness, 
king, you need to be afraid of God's judgment. I mean, this is Paul, a prisoner, talking to Felix, going, you are lost. Yeah, I kind of wonder this morning, how many here need the righteousness of God instead of their own? You see, on our own, our righteousness will not get us into the kingdom of heaven. It is only the righteousness of God that saves us. What does that mean? How can I have a right standing with God? Well, it's not what you and I do. It's what Jesus did. It's about having faith in God's grace that Jesus died in our place. And that when I trust in that, then I am saved. That's the only way that I can be right with God. All the sermons in the world, all the church attendance in the world, all the reading of the Bible in the world, none of that will be good enough to give me a relationship with God. But what Jesus did, you know, we celebrated Christmas last week. We celebrated the birth of Jesus, and that was the beginning of God's eternal plan to save sinners. If we could be good enough to get to heaven on our own, then Jesus would have never had to be born. He wouldn't have had to die, and he wouldn't have been risen on the third day. But the very fact of his birth, his death, and his resurrection shows that you and I need righteousness of God. But how can I know it? Here in this text, again, that word temperance, that self-control, You know, self-control is one of the nine fruits of the Spirit given in Galatians 5. Self-control isn't just the the restraint of your impulsiveness. You know, kind of like I I heard what was happening at our house this morning. Um, Our our beautiful, sweet daughter lost her impulse control and and was having a fight with one of her siblings. All right, now we kind of understand, all right, you need self-control on that. You shouldn't go up and slap your brother because the Nerf gun won't reload. We understand that impulse control issue. But, I mean, how many of us struggle with impulse control? How many of us do things because we just want to do it and we don't really care who it hurts? How many of us have ever said something along the lines of, well, I know I shouldn't do it, but God will forgive me, it'll be okay. That is a demonstration of a lack of godly self-control. And it very well may be a revealing that you're not saved. That you're trusting in something other than God to save you. Because if you are a child of God, you will grow in self-control. It won't be instantaneous and you, you will master and harness everything. You know, one of the greatest ways that we already lack of self-control is whatever we think we say. Anybody else's mouth get them in trouble because it engages before their brain? It's a demonstration of a lack of self-control. It's, it's a demonstration that we need to go back and ask God for his help. Because just because we can doesn't mean we should. You know that quick-witted humor that that we love, those one-liners, those zingers? It does more to damage a relationship 
than it ever does to heal one. And so Paul's going, listen, King, you don't have self-control because you don't belong to God and you need to be afraid. And maybe there's somebody here that's going, you know what? My life isn't what it ought to be. Now, here's the, the king trying to basically get Paul to bribe him. He's going, hey, just give me some, some money. But Paul can't be bought because Paul knew that what Felix needed more was more important than Paul's very freedom. Felix kept Paul as a prisoner for two years. At any time, Paul could have bribed his way out of jail and he could have gone on. He could have even done the Christian, semi-Christian thing of justifying it. Well, I had to get myself out of jail because I got to go take the gospel further. There are other people who need to hear it. No, no, no. Paul realized he was exactly where God wanted him to be. And so Paul cared more about Felix's eternity than his own freedom. Are you and I willing to stay where God has placed us and to suffer even for a time, if necessary, so that someone can hear the gospel? Are we willing to say, Lord, use me however and wherever you want for your glory and for the good of others? See, all this is what Paul is demonstrating to us, but you know, one of the biggest reasons that most people don't share the gospel is they're afraid of rejection. Okay, they, they want to be liked. I got to be honest. I, I pray for the day that we all get such a holy boldness about us that we will share the gospel regardless of somebody's response to us. But the other reason that often we don't share the gospel is we feel like we're going to fail. Can I show you something out of this text really quickly? Look there with me for verse 27. But after two years, Portius uh, Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Now, why do I read that? Well, for two years, Felix kept bringing Paul back. That's what we see in the end of verse 26. He kept bringing him back more often and, and meeting with him. For two years. Now, Paul had already shared the gospel with him. I'm sure he shared with him more than once over those two years. But you know what we don't see Felix do? We don't see Felix accept the gospel. Now, why do I bring that up to those of you who are afraid of failure in evangelizing? I bring it up for this reason. Paul was the most seasoned missionary evangelist ever. If there was a guy who could preach the gospel and somebody would listen and believe, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet for two years, he reasoned with Felix. And in two years, he never made a decision. So what does that mean for you and I? It means this. You and I are to plant the seed. We are to water the seed. It is God who births that seed. You and I cannot save anyone. Which is to say this, as long as you share the gospel, you cannot fail. 
You may not have some big outline memorized and say it just perfectly, but if you share the gospel, then you will have been faithful to your calling as a Christian. And so you, have, you and I have to understand that sometimes we're going to be obedient, but somebody else is going to reject it. See, the issue wasn't what Paul was saying. The issue was that Felix was putting off that important decision. He was procrastinating. And so I want to encourage you to share the gospel. Don't get caught up in a, in a perfect presentation. As long as, as you are including that, you know, God created everything perfect and we as sinners messed it up, but Jesus died in our place on the third day, that he rose again, and he's the only way for a person to be saved. As, as long as you are getting those basic elements, you are presenting the life-giving, life-transforming truth of the gospel. You can't fail. The only way that you and I as a Christian can fail is to say nothing. When we don't share it, then the book of Ezekiel says their blood is on our hands. Not that we could save them, but because we could give them the message that God could use to transform their life. And look, I mean, Paul is reasoning with Felix here, and notice the result of it. All right, there in verse 25 it says, Felix trembled. All right, the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction in Felix's life. Paul was giving the gospel and Felix was feeling the conviction of his sin. And notice what he then does. He answered, go that way for this time. In other words, Felix could not wait to get Paul out of his sight. My greatest fear is that some of us often respond to God that way. That we're hearing God's truth and we're feeling the conviction. But rather than confess it, we try to ignore it and get away from it. We're putting off important decisions. Not only is procrastination about putting off important decisions, but there's a second truth about procrastination. And for that one, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4. For those of you not very familiar with the Bible, that's okay. Turn a little bit deeper into the New Testament. James is the half-brother of our Lord, and uh, he was a leader of the church at Jerusalem. And he writes this, this five-chapter book that is toe-stomping from the word go. But it reminds us of who we are and who God is. Before I read that text, I, I want to submit to you this morning that many in America today are right here in James chapter 4. It reminds me of a story I, I heard about a little boy and a family. and The dad, he worked long hours. I mean, he was gone a lot. And every time his wife brought it up to him, his response was, Listen, i got to work this much so that we can afford the life that we've got. You like the life that we have, right? Then stop complaining. And of course, it, it would just 
he would break the heart of, of his wife and of his children because they just wanted him. I wonder how many of us can identify with that dad. That we maybe not work so much, but that we sacrifice the important things to give our family the unimportant. Well, that story goes on. And, and the dad comes home one night. Been a long day at work. He sits down in his recliner. The recliner's in front of the TV, so he kicks back in his recliner. He turns on the TV. His wife brings him a reheated dinner. And he's sitting there. He's eating his dinner, watching TV. And here comes his little boy. And he goes, Daddy, I, I got a question for you. And he says, sorry, it's what, son? Daddy, how much do you make an hour? His dad gets furious and starts screaming. How dare you ask me? That's the rudest question you could possibly ask me. Why would you ask that question? And his little boy, fighting tears back in his eyes, said, I just wanted to know so I could buy an hour of your time. Now let's read James 4 together. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. See, our verses here in James show us that procrastination number two is prideful and it's prideful for two reasons it's prideful because it's saying that we know what is better for us than God does we're saying I'm smarter than God because I know what I need and yeah I, maybe you think I need to do this but I think I need to do this and this is better than that is and so I'm going to do it my way. Procrastination is, it reveals pridefulness a second way because it's saying that we know how much time we have left in this life. We're saying, I've got time to go back and do that. I can, I can let that go for right now and I can do this for, for a time. And then when I get a little bit older, then I'll have time to do whatever it is that is. But what does James 4.14 say? For what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, a lot like the fog that we deal with on a fairly regular basis around here in the morning. You know, National Weather Service the night before, first thing in the morning, they issue a dense fog advisory. And then long about the middle of the morning or so, you walk out and you're like, what fog? It's gone. Why? It's beautiful blue sky. And that is what our life is like. It's here and then it's gone. When you and I say, I don't have to do this right now because I've got time. What we're saying is, I'm the one that's in control of my life and my time and what I do with it.
and nobody else has any say-so over me. Yet Moses would write in Psalm chapter 90, Lord, teach us to number our days. You know, we often think, oh, you know, I got plenty of time, I'm a young guy, and all these things, you know, I, I can do those things later in life. I can go back to church, get right with God, take my family to church. Whatever it happens to be, I've got time to do that. Yet I can give you five examples in the last year and a half that will prove you wrong. You know, just earlier this, this week, a 24-year-old young man lost his life. I guarantee you when he took off out of his house and got on Turner Branch Road, he never thought that would be the last time he would be behind the wheel of a vehicle. And it doesn't change the fact that today his family is suffering. And his family and friends are trying to grapple with the loss of someone. And by all rights and accounts, this was a guy who loved God. And he was wanting to go into ministry. So please don't be lulled into this thought, well, you know, he was a bad person, so that's why that happened. Suffering happens to every one of us. Death happens whether you go to church or you don't. You can't put off the decisions until tomorrow that you may not have a tomorrow to make. So what do we do with this text? I want to give you two things. First, I would say this, that remember that God is the one who is in control. The buildup of our story of Acts 24, I actually started back a chapter previous. See, God had made a promise to Paul that he was going to get to go to Rome. Now, Paul had written many times how he desired to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher to set up a, a missionary station so he could expand westward into Spain. God fulfilled his promise, but not the way that Paul want, was thinking. Paul wanted to go as a preacher. Rather, Paul makes it to Rome as a prisoner. You and I can have all sorts of plans in our life. And it's okay to plan. But when we make our plans without consulting God, that's why it says in James that all your boasting is evil. So often, yeah, we grow up and, and we have most of the time a good relationship with mom and dad. And, and then we hit those fun years. They're called the teenage years. You know, those teenage years, that's when most kids think their parents become the dumbest people alive. Okay? And, and mom and dad want you to do something that you don't want to do. And so we get mad and we go, you know what? I can't wait to grow up and leave this house. I'm going to be the, my own man. Can't wait. And so then that day comes and you graduate and you go out on your own. You're your own man. You're your own woman. Only to realize that now you got to go to work and pay bills. Now you got to find balance between work, family, and hobbies. And so then you start getting frustrated because you thought you were going to be in control of your own life only to realize that you got some boss over you telling you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And so then you go, well, I can't wait to retire. Then I will do what I want to do. And so then you work 40, 50, 60 years and you retire. And those kids that used to annoy you and drive you up one side of the wall and down the other, 
Well, they're no longer at the house anymore. See, they're grown up. They're married. They got their own kids. Maybe they may have moved away. And so then you're just sitting there. You've waited and waited and waited for this one moment of time. And rather than coming up with all the things you're going to do now that you've got the time, the one thought that haunts you every day and every night is this. Where did my life go? You wake up and you realize that there's more time behind you than there is in front of you. And you get all the could'ves, would'ves, and should'ves. And then, one day people gather to remember you because you're no longer there. One of our favorite phrases in life is someday. Someday, I'm going to do this. Someday, I'm going to take a vacation. Someday, I'm going to go back to church. Someday, I'm going to take my family to church. Someday, I'm going to make up with my family. Someday, I'm going to get right with God. And for the vast majority of you, someday will never come. Not because God didn't give you time. But you didn't take advantage of the opportunity. See, every one of us in here is sinners. Every one of us deserves God's judgment. And that judgment ends in an eternal hell. But God is giving you his grace and giving us an opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel. That while we were sinners, God still loved us enough to die for us. And that we could make a decision now that will change not only our eternity, but it will change the rest of our life. So my question to you is, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered to that grace, what is stopping you? You don't have to have your life together. You don't have to have it all figured out. God will accept you where you are if you believe and trust in his grace as the only way to save you. He will meet you where you are, but then get this, he will take you where he created you to be. But here's the issue. Second thing, don't put off important decisions because you cannot go with God and stay where you are. And the most important decision that any of us in this room and most important decision anyone else in the world has to make is this. Will I surrender to the grace of Jesus Christ? Will I become his child by his grace? Or will I do it my way? See, today is the day of salvation to those who believe. It's not about earning it. It's not about deserving it. It's about God lavishing his grace on us and saying, I love you enough. I desire a relationship with you so much that I made a way where there wasn't. And all I'm asking you to do is surrender to me, to understand that I sent my son to die in your place so that we could have a relationship. What's keeping you from doing that? But I would be remiss if I stopped there.
because I want to talk to my brothers and my sisters in Christ for a minute. To those of you who have been saved, I pray that we will get that boldness to share the gospel no matter what. And I got to ask a question, and it's not a comfortable one. How many family members are we going to have to bury? How many friends are we going to have to say goodbye to? How many co-workers are we going to have to lose? How many people that we go to ball fields or gymnasiums every weekend, how many of them are going to have to die with us knowing full well that they never accepted the grace of God? How many of them are going to die with us knowing that they are awakened to the eternal reality of hell before our hearts break? How many are we going to have to lose before we cry out to God and go, God, forgive me because I sinned against you because you gave me an opportunity and God, I didn't take it. How many moms and dads? How many brothers and sisters? How many grandparents? How many aunts and uncles are we going to have to lose before we finally wake up and realize that the Christian life isn't about me, it's about him. And I got to get busy being obedient to him. How many times are we going to live in regret? Not of things that we did, but in opportunities that we missed. See, we can't do everything, but we can do something. We can share the gospel, and we can pray for it. How many we're going to have to lose before it's enough? How many of you are going to leave this place this morning knowing that you've never surrendered to the grace of God and believing you have another chance? How many of us are going to miss this opportunity? See, I don't know when you're going to die. I'm not going to say it. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but I know that there are two inevitabilities. Number one, we will die. If Jesus doesn't come back, we're going to die. And the second inevitability is Jesus is going to return. And at that moment, the time of grace will have ended and judgment will come. You can be ready for judgment now. Would you stand? We're going to. Fathers, we just move into a next portion of this service. God, we thank you for the opportunity just to open up your word and, and to study. And Lord, there were some hard truths that we shared this morning from your word. And those hard truths sometimes just make us want to bow up and resist them. But God, I pray that our hearts would be broken and soft. That we would understand the truthfulness of your word. That we have a decision that needs to be made. A decision that we don't deserve to even have the opportunity to make. It's only because your love and your grace that we can surrender to you and be saved today. Father, maybe we made that decision. 
Lord, we know of times that we've missed out on opportunities to share. We can think of friends and family and co-workers, people that we know that have died. And we think of all the times that we could have shared the gospel, but we didn't. And Father, we don't want to live in guilt. We know that's where Satan lives. But we also don't want to pretend that it didn't happen. You revealing our sin to us is not judgment, but rather it is an opportunity for us to confess our sin and to experience once again that renewed grace of Jesus Christ. Because your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Father, if there's sin in our lives, I pray that this morning we would confess it. If there's someone here who needs to receive your grace to be saved today, Father, I pray that they would do it in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is going to be open if you need uh, to pray. If I can pray with you, there's some way you need to respond to God. As we sing Jesus paid it all, let's respond to him together.